I think society is kind of designed in a way that makes it harder for women to consider a technical career or when they join a technical career, it still is harder for women to get ahead in that in that career. Mostly Awesome, a podcast about the wins and fails of innovators brought to you by CDTM in Munich. Welcome back to Mostly Awesome. Let's start this episode with a fact reported by the New York Times. In 2018, there were more CEOs of the Fortune 500 companies named John than the ones being female. Our guest today is on a quest to changing this. Meet Aleph Kanuglu, founder of the Munich-based non-profit organization Female Tech Leaders. It's a group dedicated to empowering women in STEM and leadership roles and mentor girls who are passionate about technology. With various initiatives such as programming courses, workshops, hackathons and more, they have already reached more than 10,000 people worldwide. On a professional side, Aleph started out studying and working in the documentary film industry. But for reasons she will be elaborating on later, she decided to switch field and came to Munich to study computer science at LMU and TUM. After her studies, Aleph has been leading product initiatives at Siemens, Microsoft and Autoscout. Before we get started, let's briefly see what we talked about with Aleph. In our first blog, we learned about her big switch from arts to tech, what led her to it, what challenges came up and what differences there are between these two worlds. We then continued talking about the story of how female tech leaders came to life and what it looks like right now. In the second blog, we talked about women in tech, discussed Alice's opinions about the status quo and what needs to be done to reach equality and, more precisely, equal opportunity. You will also find out what Aleph advises any young girl starting a career in tech. Lastly, as always, we learn about Aleph's favorite book, app, podcast, routine and innovator. So without further ado, let's welcome Aleph Kanulu. We're very excited to have her on the podcast today. All right. Uh, so welcome Aleph to our podcast. We're very glad that you made it. Thank you. Thanks. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, yeah, so we just introduced you based on your CV, but we were actually wondering how would you describe yourself? What what keeps you busy? I think I would describe myself as, like I always like to describe myself as easily excitable about everything. And I think that's kind of what's been also my whole life. So essentially, I'm now really, like maybe a lot of us getting really excited about rejoining life again so i i'm going getting out of the house a lot i'm trying to reconnect with friends i'm trying to exercise and get into nature and try to travel a little bit as much as much as it's allowed but also in terms of female tech leaders i think we're all um, getting this new fresh energy to think of really cool concepts again because um, maybe it's been similar with cdtm as well a lot of our community initiatives have been have been happening really online I and mean, I think everyone's kind of fatigued of the online world and having Zoom conversations. So we're super excited also thinking of new concepts and ideas to hopefully get started in person again with, with our FTL initiatives. Nice, super we're very cool. excited to see what comes out there. So you already said you were excited easily and we noticed that you were coming from an art background initially. It would be super cool to hear a bit about this and how your switch to computer science happened then. 
Yeah, I get asked this question all the time of why did you switch from something so extreme to another extreme? And I essentially always explain it in terms of what my intrinsic motivation was growing up. And I think it started with my parents who moved to Germany from, from Turkey and they kind of showed me by example that you can really shape your life the way that you want to. And I've kind of lived by that philosophy ever since. And one of my most biggest intrinsic motivations that I've had has always been to be able to give back because I felt that I was very privileged that I was able to grow up the way that I did, you know, putting a lot of emphasis of education of me and my siblings and making our mark in the world. So I was always trying to find ways where I could give back. And at the time when I was growing up, I thought that was going to be in the film industry through documentary filmmaking, because I wanted to tell stories of people. I wanted to give people a voice that maybe didn't have a voice or didn't have it so easy. And I uh, was actually working in the field. I even lived in the US for a couple of years and worked in the field as well. And then essentially got into contact um, with technology by living in Silicon Valley for almost a year as well. And notice there that, okay, wow, this is so cool because you can also have such a huge impact on people by, by, by using technology to build products and touch people's lives. And I noticed that you can have a much faster and higher impact by building products that touch people's lives. And something shifted. Um, and I started taking a couple of online courses back then, which was already a very long time ago. Online courses didn't exist as they do now. So it was just online videos of computer science classes that were recorded. And I started watching them and doing a couple of the exercises and um, decided, okay, wow, this is huge. All the ideas started coming in. Like I said, I get excited about everything. So I was super stoked to, to try it out and decided to take another step and study something new. Uh, and that's how I got into technology. Okay, it's uh, super interesting to hear to have this intrinsic motivation of giving back and then making the switch because you realized uh, maybe this is actually something where you can reach more people. So what you say now, being in technology, this is where you arrived? Or could you imagine also that you maybe find another career path where you say, ah, see, this is something where I can even reach even more people uh, and then make another switch, go back to university or watching online courses? I hope not back to university again, but I never say never in terms of maybe another career switch or another different kinds of path opening up itself. Because I think, again, like due to my parents and due to how I was growing up of shaping your own reality, I am always a very firm believer of you. And, and I think there's also this famous quote from Steve Jobs that once you realize that everything in life was built by other people that aren't necessarily smarter than you, you actually realize that you can shape life and you can change it and influence it. And, and that quote resonated with me for so many years because it showed me that this is how I really live my life. I am working in technology and I'm building products. I noticed that, yes, I'm impacting lives. I'm making uh, something better for someone. And also together with female tech leaders, I can see that I'm having a really positive impact in giving back to communities and, and to society by hopefully enabling and empowering other women to join technology and, and to enter leadership roles. So I think this intrinsic motivation can have so many different outlets, right? It may be in building products, it may be in volunteering, but it may also be in other ways. And I'm super open to that. And I think hopefully we all should be. Do you, do you ever miss the, like the, the camera and making and filming something and making a, a documentary? I think it, what I do keeps me so busy. And it really fulfills this inner need that I had back then of, of giving back. 
that that need is filled, right? So I don't have time often to, to think or miss the actual tools that I use to give back in the end of the day, because I know that I can still reach that goal of having the impact that I want to have in society. And I know it sounds so idealistic, but it's really true. So when you really follow and achieve that North Star, you, you follow that North Star that you have set yourself as a human, and you have this purpose that you're following, it doesn't matter what tool or medium you use to reach that. Um, and that's why I actually feel super fulfilled in how I do it now. And I think at this point, I've been in technology for so much more than I used to be back then in arts, that I'm also a lot better at my craft. And I think that's also, again, reinforcing and rewarding a lot more. So mm, super cool. When you when you talk about technology and your switch there, it all sounds like super positive. But were there any challenges you encountered maybe also during your studies of computer science? Absolutely. Yeah, like now it's it's so positive because I'm um, done with school. And uh, for everyone that's listening and maybe still a student, like that time is going to come and it's awesome. So hang in there. But while I was studying computer science, I was really struggling a lot because, as, as you know, I came from an arts background. So I did not do anything technical in I had not done anything technical or mathematical in so many years. So, of course, my grades were suffering. I was failing exams and I, nobody told me that it's completely normal to fail exams in informatics. Like that's just what everyone always does. It's normal. And no one tells you this. So. I felt like I felt really bad and I felt like I was not in the right place and I was not made for for studying something so hard. And in the end of the day, actually, female tech leaders was a product of feeling out of place and feeling like an imposter uh, because I wanted to join communities to to connect with other people who were like minded and who may also have been struggling. And that's how female tech leaders in the end of the day came to be, because back then, which is already a really long time ago, communities that exist today for women empowerment and women in tech have not existed as strongly yet. So I didn't have one. And again, just following that philosophy of uh, Steve Jobs quote, I was like, okay, cool. So I'm going to make one. I'm going to shape my reality uh, and started off by just creating a back then a very small Facebook group um, of other students, male and female, by the way, where we just felt safe and confident to ask questions about like courses and studies and It just grew naturally and organically through. And what, what was that Facebook group called back then? So it was probably just like LMU Informatics. Like, I think it was a German name. It was like LMU Informatikerinnen. And then, and then it just didn't apply anymore shortly after because it was also men in there. And it was always really open to, to men and women. It was just like this place where at first it was meant for me to just be with my um, classmates and ask questions. And then it just became so much more. And then yeah, we changed but, the name. But from the beginning on, it had this focus of saying, okay, we kind of want to group together and um, support each other as, as women kind of being a bit out of place, just by the, yeah, a bit out, outnumbered. So that was the initial focus already. But then it grew yes, more. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So how was, how was the comparison maybe then? To, to art or to filming, is there like quite a gender balance? And then in informatics, you experienced it completely different or was it similar maybe? I in, in the arts and especially in, in the filmmaking world, there is quite more of a gender balance. But I think mm -hmm. the film industry has like its own sexism problem. That's a completely different conversation that we don't have to get into now. But yes, it was a lot more gender balanced and everyone was kind of working together 
and switching roles and taking on different kinds of roles on a film set. So it was a lot more um, fluid. And what, what seemed to be the difference to technology and also to studying computer science was it was very structured and very systematic. Um, and so I had to change a little bit also my own mindset about how I would approach problems and projects. So it definitely was, a, was an enormous switch, but it's possible. And everyone in the arts who's thinking of making the switch should do it. It's definitely. So, so back then, when you were failing exams, kind of struggling, what did you what were your thoughts there did you just think maybe informatics isn't for me or did you think maybe informatics is actually not meant for women was that um, ever a thought that occurred no luckily not i know I, that other people might think differently but for me the thought was more about what can i do to become better and because i'm so communicative and also transparent about my failures as much as my successes, I just talked to everyone about it. And when I started talking about it, I noticed all the others also failed that exam. And when I talked more about it, I realized, oh, wait, that analysis exam, 80% of people failed it. So uh, it just gave you a little bit more comfort to just communicate out and again, connect with others um, and have this community where you can share. So you can notice that you're not by yourself. And there are also men who are failing just as much as women who are failing. So yeah. In that Facebook group back then, how was the conversation going on? What was it? Because it sounds like more than, hey, who is taking this exam? Do you want to study together? It was really, it was really everything. So that's how it started, right, at first. But then over time, it became more about, hey, there is a meetup for, I don't know, machine learning, programming, who wants to go there together, or people sharing articles um, from TechCrunch saying, hey, there is a startup, or here is a Munich startup event, do you want to go there? Hey, I have a startup idea. So it really became more like a little tech community. And that was what was so beautiful about it, right? And then one day when we had a lot of these kinds of conversations happening, we said, hey, why not get together one day and actually meet? Because we're now so many of us, let's have an event. And that ended up being the first like 200 person event that we had at one of the offices. I think we had our first event at the Stylite. And they also didn't expect it because we thought we're just going to have a meetup there. And Stylite back then used to have a lot of meetups where they would just order pizza and have like 20 people come and talk about technology. And then it was filled with 200s of people. And that's when, you know, I also realized, okay, this is much bigger than just that group. We can really achieve something here. So then you actually went ahead um, to found Female Tech Leaders, a Munich-based initiative. So maybe could you br briefly uh, introduce actually Female Tech Leaders to our... Yes, absolutely. So this is what then actually developed out of that group, of course. So it's at this point, it's a nonprofit organization uh, that has as its goal to have like a 50-50 divide of men and women in technology and also in leadership roles. So we still have a very long way to reach that North Star, but we have different kinds of initiatives that we do to achieve that, that overall North Star, right? And these initiatives are programming courses, hackathons, workshops. We even have school visits or like an education team that is thinking about how we could approach younger kids to get excited about technology. So we have a lot of different kinds of initiatives that go into different directions to just bring technology and, and, and leadership topics closer to actually men and women, but particularly with the focus of yeah, giving women that space to go out and explore. All of our initiatives are entirely volunteer driven. They're completely free for participants always and always will be, and are often in collaboration with companies. So it's also a great way to get 
female engineers or engineers to be in contact with interesting companies. At the same time, it helps companies get in contact with potential female engineers. And that's why it's it's really this great place to to just bring together people in technology or those who want to get into technology and also bring the safety to explore to, you know, if you're coming from a media background or a marketing background and you're interested in programming, you can just go to a programming course from us and build an app in a weekend and see if it's something you like, you're good at it. If you can maybe connect with others who are in the same boat, I mean, it's supposed to just take away this, yeah, this like wall that a lot of people think is standing between a non-technical person and a technical person and show that it's actually something we all can do. Where would you say is this wall coming from? That's a very interesting question. Do you have a couple more hours? I can, I can, I can, start, I can start going on a, on a monologue. I think particularly when it comes to, you know, a wall that maybe women see before themselves in technology or early leadership roles, I think it's, it's really society in a way that's designed. Like, I really share the strong opinion that society was designed or is designed in a way that doesn't favor women to, to get ahead as much as it favors men. And I know that is a very strong opinion to have. And I, I don't know if this was or wasn't an intentional design of society to get it to this point, but this is just the situation that we have right now, right? So it's hard to be sometimes around organizations that might say, women just apply, like we have this funnel problem, women aren't applying to, to technology roles or to technology studies. Uh, yes, there's a funnel problem, but the funnel problem is based upon so much more that is ingrained in our society that, that gets to this small funnel, right? So I think society is kind of designed in a way that makes it harder for women to consider a technical career or when they join a technical career, it still is harder for women to get ahead in that in that career. And and that's where we would have to start if we want to really remove this this wall as well. And I mean, if you're a woman and you have to think about when you're advancing in your career and in your mid-30s and you have to think about, okay, do I want to stop working and have a child? But if I have a child and I want to go back to work, I will be thought of as a bad mother. Do I want to do that? Do I want to go through that? But if I don't go to work and I take care of my child, then uh, I might not get promoted as maybe another man who is in my age. But when you do get promoted, then you're a bad mother for not taking care of your child. All the while, maybe a man who also had a child at the same age continued to go to work and nobody thought about thinking of blaming him because that would be very unfair. So I think just, and this is just one example, right? So I think society is not really there yet to empower women the same way that we are empowering them in maybe events like or organizations like female tech leaders and, and communities like this. I think society has not caught up to that just yet. Mm. Maybe maybe taking one step back here, when did this thought arise for you for the first time? Because so far it didn't really sound like you thought that in computer science it was really a gender issue, but like where where was this moment where you realized, oh wow, okay, this is different for me. I think just because I'm so involved in this topic now, I read, I'm just exposed to so much information, I think. Mm. And I read and, and talk maybe a little bit more about the subject with people than, than, than the average person does. I can't really pinpoint exactly when I started to have that shift, but a couple of books that I read, for example, really started to open my eyes a little bit. I think there's this very famous one that's called Invisible Women that probably a lot have, have read or know about that just showed me that we did really not 
think uh, about women for a very long time and now we're thinking about women and it seems a little bit unfair also sometimes to men that now women have so much attention but really we're just trying we have this skewed graph and we're just trying to skew it in the other direction to get like an equal baseline and yeah it just i think just developed over the course of the last years by just having a lot of conversations with a lot of very smart people that that know a lot about the subject i mean i'm not a social scientist or social historian but there are so many people that are a lot better at this topic than i am and i think it's it's quite an interesting subject to think about and now is a really interesting time because it's changing and people are becoming aware of it yeah so i would be curious because i mean you you did manage to say okay i, I do going to go for computer science although this might not be the norm to go and now you had several product management roles actually at Siemens, Microsoft, Freeletics, and now you are at Autoscout. So was it ever there that you would say, hey, okay, now I'm a female tech leader even, and I, I still experience these biases against me? That's a, that's a really good question. I think I always try to question my own thoughts when they go in that direction, because I know that I have a heightened sensitivity towards this just because I'm so involved in the topic. So I try to be really careful if I just decide something is a bias against me or whether it's really somebody has a somebody has a different opinion, for example, right? But I do try to observe also interactions with others. And I think especially when you're in tech, you're often in teams that have mostly men. I think the last project that I've worked on, I was often the only woman, but then I was also in other companies and teams where they're more women. I mean, I just like to observe how women interact with each other and how women in, in tech teams interact with men. And I do really see sometimes these, these stereotypical complaints and, and, and accusations that you also hear that are a problem in technology, which are very, very valid complaints and accusations. Like somebody will repeat exactly what a woman said and suddenly it's really heard and affirmed. Um, and you just think to yourself, Wait, that was just said by a woman and nobody reacted. And these things really do happen. But it got me really to think that this is not intentional, right? Nobody is thinking, let's exclude the woman and not listen to her. Maybe some people are thinking that, but people are inherently good and nobody's intentionally doing that. I think, again, it comes down to what I said before, to close a circle. Society has conditioned us to just find something more competent when it comes out of the mouth of a man and find it more believable. And this is what I meant earlier when I said that society is designed in a flawed way that may not help women as much because these things are even sometimes done by women to other women. And it's, again, not intentional. Mm. Cool. Then let's move into the second block. Although we already talked a lot about it, this is all dedicated to women in tech. And actually what we started doing is we always ask our guests uh, for a question for the next upcoming guests. And our last guest was Volkert, who is a triathlete and coach. And his question to you was, are females the better leaders and why? That's a good one. I think females are different leaders. Uh, I don't think I'm in a position to judge if, if women or men are the better leaders. And also the question leaves out trans people. Um, or people of different cultures and backgrounds, right? Like we, we can't really make that call. We can only speak of what we can observe. And sadly, we don't observe as many female leaders. We also don't observe as many 
transgender leaders or, or leaders from maybe non-white backgrounds. So I, I just really strongly believe that leaders all bring their own experiences and personality to the table and act differently. So I, every person also chooses the leader that most resonates with them, right? So people also often say you don't necessarily quit a job, you quit a manager, or you don't necessarily follow a job, you follow a manager, right? So I think what resonates with your personality type can be so many different things. I do observe at work sometimes when I, when I listen to females interact with their colleagues, because a leader can also be someone that's not a manager, but just a colleague. When I sometimes listen to females interact with their colleagues, I do notice big differences that other people might, might think is, is better leadership, which is, for example, like one thing that just I observe is, for example, when somebody starts talking while someone is talking, oftentimes I observe the woman actually letting the other person interrupt her um, intentionally just because she values that person's opinion and wants to hear it. And uh, I often see conversations between men where one person wants to share an idea, but the other person doesn't stop talking. And then you hear a lot of people talking at the same time and you can, cannot get the information. And this is something that, so these are just differences, right? I mean, there can be a personality type of a person who likes a leader who will steadfast continue talking and not let themselves be interrupted because they want to portray also the, the authority. But someone else might prefer a leader who is very highly aware and hyper aware, maybe even sometimes, and can also feel the, the sentiment in the room and allow people to speak up when they feel like they want to speak up uh, and share an opinion and they have an urgency to share it. So depending on that, this is a very long answer to, uh, to your to previous guest's question. But I think depending on that, I, I don't think it's easy to make that statement. And I, and I never would actually make a statement like, because that would be sexist <laughs> into the other direction. Yeah. But we all have differences. I think that makes sense also to be careful to not stereotype into that direction. So now I do have to cross out the next question, which would be, where do you see strength of women in tech? Do we have to rethink the ideal techie? Do you actually have points where you would say, ah, maybe um, because techie is such a male view for, mm -hmm. for now. So how, how could we actually rethink that to be more inclusive and to actually not stereotype? I think, yeah, I think the world is realizing now that the ideal techie, as we used to know it, as that, you know, typical guy who is wearing really comfortable clothes and, and likes to code all the time, that that image of a techie does no longer exist as like the soul image. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think the, the definition of the techie is now becoming so diverse. And again, not just between men and women which you can see now that more women are joining uh, tech companies, you can already see differences, right? I mean, way back in the day when voice controlled and voice UI first came out, there were a couple of devices that weren't able to recognize women's voices. And now they do. And I think that shows that some women may, were, were maybe in the room when this was tested and were, you know, adding this, this other way of thinking of, hey, let's try it with this person's voice too. And it maybe gave them some results and some ideas to actually also recognize higher pitched voices. At the same time, again, cultural diversity or race diversity as well. I saw this actually last week that Snapchat introduced a camera that recognizes and highlights black skin color a lot more than the regular camera does, right? And the person behind that idea, behind that feature that was shipped, was also a black person. 
um, before we didn't have as many black people or people of color part of tech teams and leadership teams viewpoints from different kinds of people now entering the tech world is also making our products better and it's making our products more inclusive and less racist and sexist and i think that's a beautiful thing yeah so i i mean i have something interesting i learned for example there are these smartwatches measuring your pulse and i heard that the technology actually that they use works like way better on white skin because it's like based on light and on black skin and it has some problems so do you, would you say that technology should always be inclusive and like kind of work for everyone because then I, i mean that makes also innovation maybe sometimes a lot harder because then like like this technology for example of measuring the pulse but it rather works on white skin better so should we not go into that direction at all or i think innovation is hard right and we should not make our lives easier by saying oh well i guess sorry black people or brown people this is easier to implement if if you're if you have white skin so we're going to ship this for white skin i think innovation in essence is something hard otherwise it wouldn't be innovation so it's it's great that it works for example that smartwatch example is great that it works on light skin but it doesn't mean that we should stop then and say okay this is what we're going to sell it means that we need to continue research and also propel more people of color into this research as well so they can bring that point of view right because it sounds like maybe they didn't have enough people of color participating in that in that development so that they realized it after it was already sold in that example so I think innovation means just keep continue, continuing to um, make it as inclusive uh, as you can to everyone, even if it takes longer to actually reach the final product. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. How do you answer to people who say maybe men are just more suited for leadership roles because naturally they're the ones who maybe, I don't know, fight for, for status or for more influence. You know, I hear this quite yeah. often and I don't have a super convincing answer to it. So maybe you do. I don't know if I have a convincing answer either <laughs> because it's just, I hear that very often as well. I think men are only perceived to be more suited for leadership, again, because they live in a society and in a workforce that was designed for them, right? Nobody started to create companies thinking this is a, this is a company that is designed for women to be leaders. Like women were not really part of the picture back when office spaces started becoming a thing or, 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 or the workforce really became a thing, right? So only now, very recently in the last 50, 60 years, this is actually becoming an issue. So of course, you know, pointing again to that Invisible Women book that really everyone should read, it's just, we just live in a world that is made for, for men to succeed. And I think, I think it's, it's very easy then to say to someone, you should, you know, you, you just don't fit in. You don't fit into that, what we consider success. Because I think uh, this has been also said by a couple of researchers. I forgot their name. But for example, when a woman in a workplace shows vulnerability and admits mistakes, for example, it's a lot easier for us, men and women, to perceive her as incompetent. But when a man in the workplace admits a mistake or shows vulnerability, it is again by both men and women perceived as a strength and as a leadership and character. On the flip side, when a woman is showing dominance um, and authority, it was perceived as trying too hard or being unlikable. And when a man did that, it was perceived as leadership as well. So I mm. think like these kinds of research are, is very interesting that really uncovers our 
our biases that we have in the workforce. Mm. Yeah. No, interesting because yeah. I like I actually heard the opposite that that like with with women it's easier maybe to show vulnerability and still be like acknowledged and and perceived as like not weak necessarily, but as a man it's way harder to still like keep up this perception of of being competent if you show vulnerability. And I think this is also the other side of the coin, you know, something that we need to consider when thinking of this topic. That's really interesting. I think, I mean, I could imagine that that in, in more recent times, because there's also so much more women empowerment in the workplace, mm -hmm. that there has been a shift. Uh, I haven't read of that of that study, but that's actually quite quite interesting. And I'm happy to, to entertain that thought because you're absolutely right in terms of the flip side, right? Like the world is also quite sexist against men in the way that we expect mm. them to um, be strong uh, and, and not be vulnerable and not give them the ability to uh, speak about maybe negative emotions like fear or sadness uh, because they are not uh, man enough if they don't if they don't if they if they talk about that and i think there's also this book from Justin Baldoni that came out uh, that's called man enough where he also unpacks that whole that whole topic as well, that actually the patriarchy and the society that the way it is designed is harming men so much more as well, right? Because mm. feminism is not, is, is not just trying to say that women should be favored and men should be treated bad, but it's feminism is trying to create a world where men and women are both treated well and equally. And I think that is exactly also trying to fight this this notion of men are not allowed to share their emotions or their weaknesses and i think i think that's a that's another like really kind of problem in society that that we should tackle i think maybe one final thought on that is i think there is this um, professor called jordan peterson that he has already actually shared that whenever he's confronted with feminism he likes to share that yes but men are most likely to commit suicide and more men are incarcerated and are are creating crimes so men are also um, being treated unfairly but in the end of the day that argument only proves why the patriarchy is bad right because if men have been or even adolescent men growing up have been taught that they should not share sadnesses or fears and they have to always keep it in of course, more men develop mental health issues or might become suicidal or might become criminal, right? This might be even feeding, like the patriarchy might even be feeding actually also sexism against men, which actually only results in more in favor of feminism and equality, right? Because mm. it would also mean that men get empowered to share that. So that's exactly that's definitely yeah. true. But funnily, yeah, in, 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 my, in that research I mentioned in the workplace, this like admitting to mistakes, I did read that that's rewarded for, for men and uh, because then you're a team player, but then for women that it was actually kind of mm -hmm. a, an incompetence, but maybe it's already a, a bit older. Yeah. So one question I would have is uh, before you said that there's a difference between equality and equality of opportunity. And as I understood correctly, you kind of refer to equality uh, of opportunity means that no matter if male, female or transgender or what race, you have the same opportunity to succeed. And while equality actually means that there uh, is a quota of 50-50, right? So I would be curious why you actually set for 
female tech leaders a quota of reaching 50-50 and why not say, hey, our goal is actually reaching um, equality of opportunity, which doesn't have to be related to an actual quota of 50-50 because people might choose paths differently. That's a really good question, but I don't think I would differentiate it like that as much because I, I, I'm a firm believer that if there's a quality of opportunity, that we would also have a relatively equal share of the population in, um, in these roles, right? So we have more than 50% of women in the world, but there's like 18% of women in technology and less than that in, in leadership roles or C-level roles. So I think if there was equality of opportunity, I think these percentages and quotas would look a lot different. So the one thing actually would actually influence the other. And I guess that was that was the logic behind that. Yeah, this is this is an interesting thought. And I'm, I, I think that also research is not quite clear about if we had equal opportunities for everyone, how would the distribution in the end actually look like? Yeah. But it's an it's an interesting thing to think about because yeah I'm I'm also not sure for example for for care jobs do you believe that it would be 50-50 I think it really also comes down again uh, so you mean like healthcare and nursing mm -hmm. jobs for example right? yeah I, I mean again like the research is not there so I also don't know how to answer that mm -hmm. but I think again if we if we did this like And I'm always talking from this utopian societal change that I actually don't even know what that looks like. But if there was equality of opportunity, which also means no penalties for men if they choose a care job, like growing up as a child, uh, a boy being able to also pick a doll or like a doctor's doll or a nurse doll over a car, like, right? It's like so societal. If we lived in a world like that, where this opportunity was already created, even from childhood and no social sanctions or penalties for men who choose these kinds of interests, there might also be a different division of the sexes in uh, jobs like care or nursing. I do, I do tend and lean towards that. Again, this mm -hmm. is all so, uh, like thought experiments, but I do tend and lean towards that. Okay, so this is why you also, so you do aim for equality of opportunity, but you said this equality of 50-50 because you believe that it basically more or less is the same thing and one is easier to measure than actually having equality of opportunity, which is, I imagine, quite hard to measure. Um, That's true. And I think in the end of the day, those two are also so connected that even if you had a 50-50 percentage before having equality of opportunity, which I believe now quotas in the workplace, for example, are trying to enforce, it would inform and influence the next generations anyway, right? Just by the fact of having women leaders in these positions and having these role models at, pe uh, at people's top of mind. And I think it already will do such a big difference for potential future applica applications into these jobs or women seeing other women in like C-level roles. Mm -hmm. So again, these two are really connected. I, I strongly believe that. Yeah. So talking about role models, What would your message be to those who are struggling with gender stereotyping, but who are not surrounded by inspiring role models or an empowering environment? Oh, wow. So they're struggling with gender stereotyping, but aren't, aren't within like an empowering environment or don't have role models. I would say get out of there as fast as you can, as hard as that is. Because like if I put it in a concrete example, what you, what you described, that would, for example, mean that you're at a job where you are struggling with, with gender stereotyping, you may not be able to have this outreach in, in your managers. You may not have colleagues or coworkers that you can have, have as like a, a support environment. 
get out of there. I think life is really short. If anything that the pandemic taught us when we had to just sit at home and work from our computers is that life is really short. And if you're working all the time, uh, that's already really detrimental to your health. And if you're working at a place that is also harming harming you psychologically like that, there are so many other jobs and so many other places that you can go and try out that we often kind of tell ourselves that it's not that possible and we feel very, very stuck. But life is a lot more plastic than that and uh, adaptable than that. And again, like closing the circle with you can shape your own reality is to just go somewhere else, even if you have to, you know, quit and find something new uh, or apply elsewhere. I think uh, these kinds of like environments and empowering environments are so important. And nowadays, this is becoming so much more of a topic um, that companies talk about and pride themselves with that there are really healthy environments out there. That, that that should be seeked out. Yeah. Is there anything you would you would like every girl to know before starting a career in tech? Probably, I would say there's so many things I would want them to know. <laughs> but I guess like the first thing that comes to mind is those doubts that you are having. All of the others are having them too, the guys and the girls, and they just don't talk about it. So they are all having it, and they are completely normal, and it does not make you less. Uh, than others just because you have these doubts i think that's a very good advice and as speaking about advice we're jumping now to toolbox section which are very quick questions for you to answer and starting off with the first one is what is a book that everybody should read oh i think i've mentioned already so many times it's invisible women i think <laughs> men and women should read it I think it's super interesting because it just uses data. It's really, it doesn't have any opinions, just data. Mm. It just says, hey, here's data about what happened in the medical field. Here's some data of what happened in the car industry. And it's just super um, data-driven and interesting. Right, which is an app that everybody should download. Oh, I'd say Headspace. That's a nice Which is a, a meditation app, like a guided meditation app. And it kind of introduces everyone to like first like three minutes of meditating. And it's like a nice thing to try out that really can impact your life very positively uh, do you have a podcast that you love listening to yes hands down decoder by nilay patel which is the editor-in-chief of the verge and they talk about everything tech and, and new products and product development and it's super exciting okay is there a routine that you follow yes it's really weird Every morning, I have to set my alarm half an hour earlier than when I want to wake up because before I start my day, I need like half an hour of me time, whether this is drinking coffee, doing a meditation, reading something, but like I need that time. But it's really weird because even when I have to catch a flight at like 5 a.m., I still have to do that because otherwise my day is super stressful if I don't have that time where I like reflect. It's super strange, but yeah, this is my routine. <laughs> Oh, it's always a fixed fixed slot at the beginning of the morning. Cool. Yes. Uh, who's an innovator that everybody should know? Oh, um, well, everybody already knows her, but I think it's Özlem uh, Tureci, who is a co-founder, like known as a co-founder of BioNTech. But the reason why I want to say her is because she's actually so much more than that. But she always gets mentioned as the wife of Ur Shahin or the co-founder of BioNTech. But she actually also, you know, started and, and ran and actually already sold her own pharmaceutical company before BioNTech. And actually, currently, she's working on a cancer vaccine that is mRNA-based as well. So 
I think she's quite an innovator and uh, she should be known for that. Very, very cool tools that you shared here with us. Uh, and with that being said, we also want to ask you to ask a question to our next guest. Uh, and our next guest is uh, Daniel Wesendorfer. He's CEO of Allianz Technology. Allianz Technology is doing the entire IT for the Allianz Group and with 11,000 employees. Um, they are quite a company in itself. So do you have any question that you want to ask uh, Daniel? Yes. If you don't already ask this question to him, I would like to know what is one concrete thing that you do to get more women into leadership but it uh, needs to be a concrete thing it cannot be <laughs> we're tracking our percentages and we have women more women in the individual contributor workforce i want to know the concrete thing they do to get them into leadership i'd be very curious for that we make we make sure to pinpoint him on one concrete thing thank you so much Alice. we very uh, much enjoyed the session For everyone listening, make sure to check out female tech leaders. If you want to take coding classes or if you want to go to a workshop on um, how to become a leader and sharpen your skills there, or if you just want to talk to people, maybe having the same struggles, I think that's very cool to check out. So uh, thank you, Alice, so much. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Yes, I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Cool. Thanks, Alice. All right, Tim. So what do you think about our conversation with Aleph? Yeah, I think in this uh, episode, it was also cool that we spoke about the topic of bringing more women into leadership positions and tech. I think it's a super important topic and I yeah, love what the initiative of Female Tech Leaders is doing. Uh, I had a look at their website and I can only encourage uh, all of you also to check it out. They offer very cool workshops or coding sessions and so on. So, yeah, that's a very cool thing that Aleph kind of initiated there. Nice. Also, her as a person, I found it really inspiring that she made this um, huge switch from well, a creative industry into tech and then didn't get discouraged by having bad grades or failure, actually, but then moving on to found female tech leaders even. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I guess just realizing, yeah, okay, I'm struggling here a bit and then just openly talking about it. Yeah. And that really helped her and then also just encouraging others. Yeah. And then also the fact that this developed out of a Facebook group, I think really showed that there was a need. So also really nice. Yeah, true. All right. Then our next episode will be with, as you've already heard, will be with Daniel Besendorfer, the CEO of Allianz Technology. They provide the entire IT landscape to the Allianz Group. So you can be excited for that. And that will also be a bit of a, a different perspective given the corporate background. So also an exciting episode coming up. With that being said, thanks to the team behind the scenes with Maria doing the content, Keke the editing, Annalena the marketing and Frederick the brand. Thanks to them. And If you have any feedback to us or the team, always feel free to reach out to podcast at cgm.de. With that being said, see you in two weeks. Thanks for tuning in.